thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun Application Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 399, where today CJ and AC are going to sit down and catch you up on the Microsoft Ignite Spring 2021 virtual conference recorded live March the 4th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Nintex. If you could score an extra hour or two back in your day, wouldn't you take it? Because our friends at Nintex want to give you a gift the gift of time. Seriously, if you haven't checked out what Nintex has to offer lately, you should. The platform built on Azure has evolved a lot. In just the past few months, the Nintex team has added new process mapping capabilities and most recently a new eSign capability called Nintex Sign, powered by Adobe Sign. Nintex also continues to revolutionize products that you know and trust, including Nintex Workflow and Forms. With the power of Nintex, it is faster and easier for you to configure, not code, giving you valuable time back every day to spend it how you want. Test drive the Nintex Process Cloud at Nintex.com. And now, back to the show. Morning, CJ. How's it going? I am okay. I am okay. It's an Ignite week, so, uh, you know... I'm trying to do my day job while running around trying to listen to some news and things and not doing a very good job of it. How about you? Same, but I will say that I do like this version of Ignite in the sense that I am feeling very rested. I don't feel, uh, I don't know, so I say hungover, but I don't feel like I'm, <laughs> it hasn't been late nights on like, you know, dinners yeah. and customer talks and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's actually quite nice. And hotel air conditioning. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the commute to Ignite had gotten so much better when they got when they moved to Orlando, and I had no idea how much better it was really going to get when it started to go virtual, and I just had to commute upstairs and such. But yes, well, we'll get into a bunch of Ignite news and things in a sec. But uh, what else has been going on? Oh man, it sounds like you and I have a little more joined to the hip in terms of like similar life experiences going on. We both had an experience with drunk drivers. Yes, thankfully not too too much first person. Mm-hmm. You did where you had a a quote gentleman when Seattle got the nice 12 feet of snow, uh, he decided to, um, you mean one inch uh, of snow? No, was, yeah. <laughs> he decided to make a target of your, uh, your fence <laughs> and a fire hydrant well, and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Came off the road and decided to, uh, do a number on our fence. Yep. Well, at least it what's wasn't yours, the house. Uh, what's your experience with drunk drivers been recently? Um, I found a, uh, a special condition in an if statement where if a drunk driver hits a tree, knocks out a transformer locally at around 10 o'clock in the morning when it's raining, and it causes power fluctuations in the area for about 15 seconds, and if you have a UPS that powers all of your gear in your like home your home server rack setup, your ser- yeah. I, yeah, I have a server rack, but it's like it's like everything is is all run through that, all of our Wi-Fi, internet, all that jazz. And if that UPS is at least 10 years old, and if that UPS also has <laughs> batteries that have been completely depleted and expired, which I didn't know that they were, then there's a pretty good chance that the fluctuations of power fry the entire board inside the UPS. Mm. So, yeah, I spent about two hours on the other day of trying to figure out why won't our UPS come back online? And, right. Yeah. That was it, huh? It was dead. That was it. That was it. I told the guy at tech support. I'm like, I didn't know that you guys had a drunk driver clause in there. He's like, we don't, but I'll add that to the notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I had an interesting UPS experience the other day, actually, during the during Snowpocalypse V3, I think it was now. We had some power outages and things, and we had the generator going, as you do. And um, 
it's pretty common up here that people have generators because there's lots of trees around. And so during big storms like that, they come down, take out the power. It's pretty common to have generators. Anyway, we probably use it twice a year. And so I had that going. And all my gear, all my computer gear in my office is on a big UPS. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty good. You know, it's a decent sized UPS and things like that. So I was like, sweet. I wonder if I can do some PC gaming during this power outage. And uh, so I fired up my computer and my, my monitors and all that, and my UPS was powering up pretty well, and the generator was going, so we had some power in the house. But I just noticed the UPS was clicking a whole bunch, and it was clicking back and forth as it was, as it was detecting unclean power because we were on a generator. Mm-hmm. The smoothness or the, the consistency of the power delivery was not there. And so it was switching between power, batteries, power, batteries, power, batteries, and things like that, and flipping back and forth. And it got me really interested in understanding a bit more about dirty power and why power conditioners exist and whether I can buy one for the entire house for, mm-hmm. to put between our generator and our home power. Because we've got loads of electronics. I don't want to fry them with bad, unclean power. Turns mm-hmm. out you can get whole home power conditioners, except... They cost an absolute fortune. And mm-hmm. by an absolute fortune, I mean tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> so what you can do, what we did for our house, what you can do is that for a lot less, like 300 bucks, mm-hmm. is there's something that you can put in your fuse box. It's like a special fuse that you put in your fuse box, and then you attach it to one of the a device that's okay, that it's okay to signal if if this has happened. So mm. what it does is when it detects a surge coming in or it detects really bad power, really dirty power, it's kind of like throwing a fuse. It catches it within a few milliseconds mm-hmm. and it throws the brake, it throws the it throws the device. Gotcha. Now the downside is, is that when that happens, the device is only a one-time use device. But what mm-hmm. you do is like we have one on each one of our fuse boxes. One of them is tied to the oven, and one of them is tied to the the circuit that runs the clothes dryer. And so if power's on in the house, but the oven won't turn on or the clothes dryer won't turn on, that signifies that incident had happened. There was a spike, and it's kind of like a whole home surge protector and dirty protector. But I see. It, it's not like what you were talking about, where it actually cleans it to make it a more... Yeah. Yeah. Like a better sine wave. Yeah. But interesting. In the 10 years we've lived here, we had that installed. I guess we, we had that installed about six years ago when we had our solar panels added to the roof. Yeah. And it has never, it, it has not tripped. It's tripped once, actually. It's tripped one mm-hmm. time we, where they simulated it to show what would happen. But since then, they've never tripped. So, yeah, that's interesting. I did learn about this dirty power, though, thing because that's apparently what caused the UPS to get fried because the UPS yeah. that I did have did what's called simulated sine waves, which is if you look at a sine wave, you know, it looks like nice little rolling waves. Yeah. Simulated makes it more stair-steppy. And if you average it out, it's this, it's that thing. It's the more, it's a more clean power. Smooth but curve. Yeah. Yeah. And the the ones that the UPS is that, like your UPS, it sounds like is doing simulated sine waves. Because if it doesn't get it just right, it can mess up network equipment and it can mess up other yeah, kind of equipment. So like when I, I, I checked, I was like, your old UPS is simulated. Your new one that we recommend you get is not as pure sine waves. And it uses the battery to go through and to, to smooth all that stuff out. So Gotcha, gotcha. I think this does a bunch of that, but I wanted one for the whole house. Not the yeah. battery part, just the smoothing part. So that when we turn on our generator, it, you know, it doesn't nuke electronics. It hasn't so far, but it was just... But this, you know, clicking back and forth just made me think it's actually pretty. It's actually pretty dirty power coming from the generator. Mm. Anyway, that's uh, so we have. Uh, I don't know. I never thought I'd learn this sort of learn about these sorts of things, but um, find it interesting. So yeah, absolutely. Can't get a whole home power power uh, conditioner without paying, you know, thirty thousand dollars plus. Yeah, I do have one one thing I did want to highlight really quick. I want to do a call out to one of our sponsors, Raygun has released a new product offering uh, or new capability with their APM tool. They now support doing APM for Node.js. So it allows you to, the same way that they could have APM for .NET and some of their other platforms that they support, they now support it with Node.js and it looks pretty darn, it looks pretty darn impressive. So shout out to the Raygun guys for doing this. Good job on the, on adding this capability. I I do find it kind of funny. It's like the, they do some integrations for this to to notify when it sees issues, including Slack, Jira, GitHub, and PagerDuty. Surprisingly, I didn't see Teams. I thought I would have seen Teams, but yeah, we use it. 
there is a Teams integration. Mm. It might be from a third party. I'm not sure. But anyway, we we use uh, Teams integration. Yeah, I see that they have Teams as an integration. I just don't see it as as an option in the. Actually, no, I don't. Sorry, I stand corrected. They just have it's. They don't have it as an integration. That's surprising. Yeah, they do some good work with. Like, uh, I mean, we've used them for years and years. It's great to see them add. Uh, we've only used the. We haven't used their backend APM because our stuff has been on Node. So we'll have to. Have to do this with now they have node support, but um, we've used them for all of our front end stuff and error reporting across the across the whole stack, but not the APM piece specifically because they didn't have node support. But uh, yeah, now they do something to look into. Nice release. So this past week has been all about Ignite. Why don't we talk about the Ignite 2021 news uh, that we've learned about this week? This episode is sponsored by Avpoint. If you like the Microsoft Cloud Show, you'll love the Shift Happens podcast with MVP and Regional Director Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation project. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably rise when ambitious people try to impact their workspace. Season one features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to avpoint.com slash blog slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens. That's one word, shift happens, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today. This podcast is brought to you by ShareGate. Do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups and teams are actually being used? Are you sure that every team in your tenant is a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. And that's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams and collaborate team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. And that's why they've also combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything that you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. And we're back. All right, CJ, this week, Microsoft has, they've changed it up this year from previous years where we've always had one Ignite at the, well, I guess it's changed different times of year, sometimes in the middle of the year. And then it's kind of traditionally lately in the last couple of years, it's moved more to being at the, towards the end of the year in the October, November-ish time. Of course, with the recent, with the pandemic going on, it's also gone to be uh, completely virtual. But this year, they kind of changed things up a bit where we have a spring Ignite and we have a fall Ignite. So it's kind of like going back to, you know, Ignite kind of replaced TechEd. And we had multiple tech, we had a couple different tech eds every year. And now it's going to be, yeah. we just went to one and Ignite, now we're back to two. And so what they did is they did a virtual Ignite event for the past two days, March 2nd and March 3rd. All the content's available online. CJ and I have got links in the show notes, which you can get if you subscribe to our email list. Um, they'll be emailed to everybody the day after the show comes out. And we've got links for a ton of stuff that we're going to talk about, including the book of news, which is really the best way to kind of get a fire hose of what you might be interested in what was announced at Ignite. It's a web version too, not a PDF, so that's nice. There are scattered links throughout. So if you want to learn more, click here. Like a lot of the stuff in Microsoft 365 just points to Microsoft 365 blog when it says learn more about a feature, but you can't really tell yeah. exactly what it was. But we've also got links to the Ignite site where you can go watch the recordings and then it also to a YouTube link of the live stream that they ran a YouTube live stream that they ran that had like the first day keynote and all that stuff going on as well. So what we were going to do today was we want to just call out some of the things that that kind of stood out to us that we saw from Ignite this week that we'll go into, into some more depth on these in the in coming weeks as well. But I guess before we get started here, I'm curious to get your take on if and how you consumed it, what you thought about, like what you've seen so far. I'll share my thoughts in a minute, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I guess I'd summarize it by saying I find the format really tedious and I don't really enjoy it. And I find that these 
that the event has turned into more of a regurgitation of announcements that have already been made than sort of big bang, huzzah, hey, look at all this new stuff. Admittedly, there is some of that this time around that we'll talk about, but I just it doesn't make me want to tune in, you know, mm-hmm. and have typically not, or not typically, this time I've not prioritized it. Like, I started watching the keynote, I had another meeting come up, that was already on my schedule, so I went and watched that. Like, I didn't clear my schedule to watch to watch the stuff because you can consume it afterwards, you can pick through it and things. But i got to tell you, I really do miss those keynotes where, you know, it's presenter after presenter with just like, ta-da, whole bunch of new stuff, this is really cool, great demos, really interesting live demos, things like that. I do miss that. I miss that, you know, that sort of that feeling of like, here comes the the laundry list of awesome new cool stuff that you can go check out and that we've been working on for the last year. It just seems like more of a more of a marketing moment to discuss what's happened over the last six months. So I am a bit jaded in that respect. But then having said that, there are some things that were new this year that are new this time, I should say, not this year, right? They have two a year that did catch my eye that we'll talk about. I feel very similar to, I feel very similar. I, I treated it the same way that you did as well. I, a couple of questions, people are like, what are you looking forward to at Ignite this week? And I'm like, nothing. I don't, I mean, there's nothing in here that I've been, that I've been waiting for, or at least that's been teased up to me. Even stuff like if you even get like, you know, bits and pieces from people that you know at Microsoft, there wasn't anything that was kind of like, oh, I'm waiting for this demo. It's more, I wish that I would had, I think in the future, like the way I want to do this is I want to like carve out one day after Ignite, mm. like at the end, like the following Friday to go through the book of news, go watch the keynotes, go watch the videos I want to watch. But I want to wait until after everything happens to see what's important to me. Instead of in the past, it was always, let me go look at the session schedule or let me go through and pick the stuff that I want to watch yeah. or that I want to go see. And then all of a sudden, you know, a bunch of things, they, they all of a sudden unembargo or the embargo gets lifted for a lot of content. And sessions, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now I want to look at it, but I didn't know it was there when I went to pick it at first. Mm. I totally agree with you on the keynote side. I mean, it is, I shared this with you before we jumped on this call, and I know this is going to sound kind of, this sounds very negative, but to me, what you said about, I'm tired of the keynotes just being a regurgitation of what's already been announced. Watching Sacha's keynote from day one, that's exactly what it was. There was one, I got one announcement out of it. But the rest of it was all just like, look what we've done lately. And I'm like, if you're supposed, to, if this conference is called Inspire and the CEO is giving the opening keynote, it ain't working. It's not called Inspire. It's called Ignite. It's, sorry, Ignite. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's Inspire true. The well, other one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, true. That's true. Well, so Ignite, if it's supposed to ignite like passion or it's supposed to ignite like, you know, yeah. I don't get that. I mean, in fact, I made a mistake. And yeah, then I is, went. This is funny. But I think this is kind of telling. This morning I sat down. I told myself that you know, I was going to get up and I'm going to watch the keynote. I'm going to watch the keynote and I want to watch one session before we do this podcast. I'm going to go read up a bunch of stuff, but I want to go watch two things. And I like to do this afterwards because I want to watch it in double speed because I don't need to get the details of it. I want to get the highlights. I started watching the keynote and I watched the first 15 or 20 minutes of it. And I looked below the video and I realized that I was actually watching Sacha's keynote from last year. And I didn't realize it. And then I started watching the keynote from two days ago. And I'm like, there's really yeah. not much of a difference here other than he talks about COVID about a little bit more about being in the past tense instead of the current tense. I'm like, yeah. when you can't tell a difference that you're watching a one-year-old conference keynote, I was like, that's not good. Yeah, so, yeah no, I totally agree. I think he's fantastic. I think such yeah. for, for Microsoft is great, but it does feel like the same keynote repeatedly over and over. It does. Yeah. It does. You know, the other thing I really miss? Guest speakers. Yeah. Like, this would have been... So I'm reading Bill Gates's new book, right? Oh, the, the climate um, change? The climate, how to avoid a climate disaster or whatever it's called. It's fantastic. And it's fantastic. This would have been the absolute perfect moment to have Gates come and do a guest speaking spot mm-hmm. and mesh the two together. Like talk about... Mesh. Talk ah. about how... Ah, mesh, yeah. <laughs> talk about how what's being done with cloud computing and technology can be applied to keeping the planet a nicer place to live, mm-hmm. something like that. right? I don't mm-hmm. know, just off the top of my head. But not to plug his new book so much, but to maybe some address some of the things that are in his book 
talk about some of the, the technology that's going into to helping with climate change. And you know, he's very pragmatic in his book. I thought was mm. fantastic. So it's not a, you know, it's not a tree hugging, yogurt slurping, flip flop wearing hippie book at all, right? It's very scientific and pragmatic. I thought, uh, and very so I think real. it would have landed very real. I thought, and my point with that is, I think it would have landed pretty well with the audience. So. Yeah, I think they really missed an opportunity for something like that, right? That's mm-hmm. I like that about other conferences uh, that I've been to in the past with guest speakers and, you know, igniting a bit of uh, passion in people. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I totally agree with you on that. It's just there's, I like to see, like, with the keynotes, I like to see something that's going to get, tell me what's the big message at Ignite. What are you, what are you guys most proud of that you're going to show us this week? What's the thing that's going to really stand out? And yes, they did that with Microsoft Mesh, this new thing that was coming out, which I'd love to get somebody on the show to come talk to us about it. I thought that the way that I know that there's some breakout sessions and there's a friend of ours is is uh, heavily involved in that project. Mm. I try and get her to come on the show in the future. But there is the way that they demonstrated it about like mixed reality. And here's like the way things are going. It felt to me like they were trying to do a presentation of mixed reality to the audience that watches the nightly news. When everybody that's watching this keynote is all in the tech space, they're all in the IT space, and they want to see, well, how can I apply this to my job? How can I yeah. give me a reason to go to say, hey, look at this new mixed reality thing we have. And if you take one of these new HoloLenses and you put them on your head and you start to do a, a meeting with someone, here's how you can collaborate with people and solve problems. And here's how they do it in manufacturing. And here's how you can do it inside the medical space. Here's all the stuff that's cool. Not some weird, freaky thing that shows me with a, or shows a, a whale shark swimming around and then morphing over into this weird kind of cultish going into the desert, doing some LSD and having a, <laughs> what was that thing called? The desert festival that happens out in the... Um, Burning Man. Burning Man. It felt like a cultish Indian version of a Burning Man if I did some LSD in a dance rave. And I'm like, you're not... This isn't selling... A, this isn't selling me at all. Like, what... What? It, and it went on for like... It's almost like it got stuck because they couldn't like... They, it, they wouldn't switch off of it. It just... It went on for like 10... It felt like 10 minutes. Like, this it's is like a bad LSD trip you can't get off. It's, that's what it felt like. <laughs> that's... I mean, well, not to say I've done that, but that's what it felt like, right? <laughs> It just, it was very, it just, it didn't make any sense at all. And I just, I, I could tell that something, there was something going on at the very end because I started getting these messages from people on different, you know, Facebook messenger, whatever. Are you watching the keynote? No. Oh my God. Do some LSD before you get to the last five minutes of the demo, like of the keynote. I'm like, that's not a pitch. <laughs> it's pretty trippy. I guess that brings <laughs> us to our first announcement of Ignite. Mesh. Microsoft Mesh. I get it. Like Microsoft are trying to come up with, new ways of communicating and interacting with one another when you're not together, right? And so from that perspective, I totally get it. And it is quite exciting because I think we need progress in this area. We need companies to be pushing forward with new, innovative ways of doing these things. To your point, though, the bits that I saw, actually that part was on mute when I was on another meeting that I had to jump on. So I just saw what was going on and it looked... I think I summarized it to somebody that said it looks like a part of a bad Minecraft level. <laughs> you know, it, was, it looked like that. but So there wasn't, I agree, from what I saw without hearing the dialogue, I couldn't see the connection to to sort of the more commercial business world. Or mm-hmm. they, did, they did talk about, you know, the classic, look, here's a motor and we're exploding it into lots of parts and the, here's where the wires go kind of piece. I saw that. Which was which had been previously used with Hololens a bunch and things like that. But I'm kind of I'm a new virtual reality headset owner as of this week. Mm-hmm. So I got this HP Reverb G2 headset because I'm I want to use it with Flight Simulator, and it is like unbelievably crazy experience, right? And so I want to believe that in the future there's good uses for AR and VR. But right now, for me, I don't see it outside of gaming. Right. And I haven't seen any absolute killer scenarios in the commercial world that just will make sense for a bunch of businesses. But I hope they get to that. Like, I hope there is, I hope it gets good enough that we get to that point and we see that sort of stuff. Because it, it is really interesting. It's new technology. It's an interesting new sort of frontier that they're, that they're trying to crack. But it's been quite a few years in the making and I still haven't seen an 
ultra compelling scenario that I just go, wow, every business is going to have to have that. Yeah, that's that's me as well. Like I've done a virtual reality thing one time, like play any game. It was a neat experience, but the whole mixed reality thing and being able to interact with other people, I don't, I mean, I see it, but I don't, mm. it, to me, it just feels like, check out this new experience that we have. Oh yeah, just set aside the fact that er- all, everything in the UX looks like it's 15 or 20 years old. It, mm. Everything is still, it's very blocky. It, it, I mean, mm. it's like going from playing Flight Simulator 2020 to going to playing Flight Simulator 1990. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it feels weird to me. It doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't, I don't feel that connection with other people. Mm. If, I don't think I would at least. The pieces that do look where I can see value in it is, like you said, with gaming. One of the things I did see, one of the cool concepts I did see is that someone was wearing Leica a HoloLens and they had their laptop out, but their workstation, they had like a white wall behind them. And when they looked up, the whole wall was also a screen like a dashboard. And I'm like, okay, now that now I can see some value here. Now that now that's pretty cool. Or being able to visualize, like I'm using augmented reality on my network where I can, my one of the, the network switch that I have, I can put it up and it will show me, here's the devices that are, here's the device that's connected to this port right here and that it's live and what its throughput is. I'm like, okay, now that's valuable. I don't have to sit there having these damn tags all over these, these cables and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the stuff that they're showing right now, it still feels like really, really early and it still feels, frankly, like I've seen with HoloLens now for, I think it's four years that it still feels like the tail's wagging the dog. And I just, it's yeah. not, it's just a solution not, looking it, for a problem. It still looks like that. And they're telling me that this is the future. This is the future. I'm like, that's what they've been saying about fusion or fission though as well. <laughs> We're still not there. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You know, one of the, one of the biggest drawbacks I think is the hardware required, right? So I can't see anybody really heavily investing in this in a commercial sense until it's feasible that a company would buy the hardware required to do this. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. Like, first up, there's the whole form factor of it. Like, you look like a complete muppet putting this thing that looks like a crown on your head, right? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it is not a friction-free experience from a hardware perspective, right? You've got to have some pretty expensive kit on your face yeah. to make it work. So it's not, it's not cheap enough and small enough, I think, to really become a feasible thing yet. But hey, I applaud Microsoft for keeping and pushing that because if they're not doing it, then it's not going to go anywhere if somebody's not pushing it. So maybe one day we will get down to something where it's you pop contact lenses in your eyes and you get the same experience. Then I can see a whole bunch of opportunities opening up. Yeah. Still feels like we're in the bag phone for the car phone thing where you've got like a little backpack that where you're doing your mobile phone. That's I still feel (laughs) like we're in that phase right now. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, but for sure. I'm sure we'll get there, and I do see the value in it eventually. It's just... Um, you know, I'd love to try know. it out. I'd uh, love to see what it's really like. I tried a HoloLens on, played with that, and it, it was a pretty magical experience. Like, it, And I don't want to sound floofy with that, but like, when you see things appearing in augmented reality right in front of your eyes, like even if they are sort of cartoonish, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's not something I walk around the house on, with on the whole time going, this has changed my life. It's one thing to have augmented reality do like literally augment stuff. It's another thing to turn, put on a headset, call it augmented or mixed reality. And apparently everything I'm seeing all around me are other people like, okay, now, now I'm, now it's a little freaky. I'm it, watching that demo, watching that demo with the, the burning man thing that I was talking about. I'm reading ready player two right now. So I'm reading, I, mm. I'm always reading two books. I'm reading a book for pleasure on my Kindle. And then I listen to a book that's more like history or, politics or self-help or whatever. And that's what I'm listening to the Bill Gates climate change book and I'm reading Ready Player Two and everything I saw was like going, this feels just like that. You got your avatars, you've got the thing that is changing what you can see. And it's like, okay. So, yeah. You know, one day we're just going to be a brain in a bag. (laughs) I guess we already are. It's just going to be a different type of bag. That was actually a book that I just read as well. Yeah, They realized that the human reaction time was the thing that was not gonna was holding <laughs> us back to doing to fighting um, aliens, and uh, so what they did mm-hmm. is they made these crazy planes. And when somebody was gonna go off and have to go fight, they were went into surgery. Their brain was removed. A machine was hooked up to their body to keep their body going, but and the machine <laughs> was hooked up to their brain, and their brain was in this like protein like yep. gel that controlled the entire plane. What was going on? And then when they were done, huh. they come back and they put their brain back in their body. <laughs> 
That's pretty cool. Well, not really. That's weird. But I mean, I mean that's weird. <laughs> Don't sign me up for that. Yeah, I mean, but it does. Can we do this? Can we do the same thing when I go to go to eat uh, food down in, in like in a, in a in a foreign country or something like that? Can we like take my stomach out, put another stomach in for a little bit? Like you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'd be pretty cool with that because I could get a new back, for example, a new set there of knees. Yep. yep. <laughs> I could get put into, uh, you know, a, a fresh body, re-sleeved, Ooh, like you, an altered altered carbon. So you'd like this book? You'd like the book that I read? It was, that was that's not is uh, the fear. Um, the Fear Saga. Gotcha. I think you've described it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's Mesh. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try to get somebody on uh, to come talk to us more about Mesh. Yes. Definitely. So that we can't be all like theorizing and stuff with it. Because like you said, to be able to experience it, there's an investment. So. Yeah. That's actually the toughest thing. Buying a VR headset during COVID was daunting because you can't go somewhere and try them on. Mm-hmm. You don't know how your eyes are going to react. You don't know if this one or that one is going to be better for you based on your eyes and and what your needs and requirements are and things like that. It was tough. Like you have to buy them and then return them if you don't if you don't like them, which uh, mm, I don't know, it's an arduous process. Yeah. Anyway. So we got some other news here, stuff that I wanted to highlight. One of them for me is around Cosmos. Cosmos, Azure Cosmos uh, DB is we've talked about it a bunch of times on the show. They had three generally available announces. They have an Azure Synapse link for Cosmos DB is GA. They have a Mongo v4 server support for for Cosmos DB API for MongoDB that you can use. They also have continuous backup point in time. Continuous backup and point in time, that's available in preview. That's going to allow you to do ongoing backups, enables customers to recover data, recover and restore data from any point within the last 30 days. And then the last one is in preview as well. This is Cosmos DB RBAC control. So this is going to allow customers to have enhanced security for data in Azure, enabling you to assign roles to users and applications, which gives you a much more granular, well-defined way to control data access for users and applications. Azure AD, one of our favorite topics on this show, uh, has made a couple of advances that I want to talk about. The first is they're rolling out, or GA, it's gone GA, passwordless authentication. So this has been part of Microsoft ID, you know, Microsoft uh, account, I should say, for a while, you've been able to set your personal account to use passwordless off, which is pretty sweet. And apparently they have 200 million passwordless users using Microsoft account already. But now this is this is available and generally available for Azure Active Directory. That admins have to go turn it on and there's policies you apply and things like that. But in effect, if you've got two-factor auth on, why do you need a password? Mm-hmm. And so... This gives you the ability to sign into things just using MFA effectively. So you you know you type your username in, you click login, you you do your MFA and you're in, which actually really helps with security in some ways because you can have much more complex password policies and people don't need to put in simple passwords that are easily you know guessable and things like that. And it also makes it easier for users because you can you know skip entering your password, makes it mm-hmm. faster. Oh, very much. Yeah, so. it's pretty sweet. I've done it on Microsoft account for a while. It's uh, it's pretty nice. Cool. So that's that's the first thing. Another one is this is kind of a curious one. AWS single sign-on is now integrated with Azure AD. <laughs> AWS. Yeah. Yeah. So it lets you connect Azure AD to AWS SSO. I'm guessing hmm. they've got customers that use AWS as well as Azure and want to have it all come under one. Identity. So effectively, you could get access to your AWS resources using your Azure AD credentials, perhaps. I'm guessing that's the case. That sounds quite complicated when you think like registering apps and stuff in Azure AD. How does that? Yeah. How does CLI, that tie in? Like, how does? Yeah. Yeah. How do you do all those developer type scenarios as well? Wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Kind of curious. There's another one here about admin consent workflow. So, you know when you have to give, when you need admin consent for an application, only an administrator can consent to that app. So, you have to go and ask your administrator, hey, I've got this app that I want to use, it requires admin consent, here are the permissions, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a whole process usually in orgs around that. Now Microsoft have built in the ability to request admin consent as part of the consent flow. So as a user, as you're going through the consent process for an application, if it requires admin consent, you can have it notify administrators as part of the consent flow 
that it requires approval. And so you can type a little note in and request that consent is, is given and it will go to admins. So it um, makes that whole process a little bit easier. If, I guess in large organizations, finding an admin could be a problem. You might not know who to go to or what whatnot. And so you can set that up. Is that GA now? Or is that preview? Preview. It's okay. just a preview. Yeah. I've heard that was coming. I thought that was already in preview. That I've heard that that feature was coming now for about a year or two. I was surprised that when that was mentioned at Ignite because I thought that that had already actually rolled out. Huh. But, interesting. Well, maybe it's gone. Maybe the, oh, hold on. The doc I'm looking at says it's in preview, but maybe the Ignite news was that it's gone GA, but that the doc I'm just looking at is still saying it's preview. Pretty nice. One of the things that I noticed, this kind of goes back to some of the the mesh stuff, the uh, Microsoft mesh stuff we were talking about, is Azure now has a service that they're offering called remote rendering. And the idea for this is that 3D rendering is an expensive thing. I mean, in terms of like the, the hardware that's needed to do that stuff. And so one of the things that what Microsoft has done by creating this remote rendering thing for this remote rendering service in Azure is really targeted around their mixed reality offering, again, Mesh. And what it does is it allows you to have high quality 3D rendering of interactive content. All that stuff is done in the cloud, but what's then delivered to you is not generation of that rendering. Instead, it's just streaming the experience down to your device so that you can have that augmented reality without the expensive processing requirements on your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop, or on a, on a much on a device that maybe doesn't have the power to do that. Or like you might be able to hear right now, like with my MacBook fan just going nonstop because it's trying to encode a 4K video coming from my camera. Right? So <laughs> we're streaming that we're looking at on our we're looking at on Zoom here. So yeah, it's a cool offering. It's a cool it's a cool offering in an ad from Microsoft. The other thing that they also added was this thing called Precept. Have you seen, mm. did you see any stuff about this? I saw a bit of news about it, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. It's, it is a, the idea here is that with a couple pieces of hardware, it's allowing you to take some of the Microsoft's artificial intelligence stuff and not just have it hosted in the cloud, but being able to take it to the edge of like where for IoT-based solutions and be able to leverage these, to be able to leverage some of the capabilities from their Microsoft's Azure AI investments as hardware-accelerated hardware devices that are going to be able to, to do more deduction of, like, say, image processing or being able to act on certain data that's being streamed in at the edge, which is a big thing with IoT, uh, instead of having to go through and to collect all that data and do all the AI stuff in the, in the cloud and then maybe send it out, the results of that for acting at uh, the different implementations. Yeah. Just kind of pushes that stuff more out into the, with these predefined models that you can have or built-in models that you already, that you can define doing and that stuff. And hardware kit, right, as well. I like mm-hmm. that. Sort of hardware and software combined make it mm-hmm. easier to prototype and build solutions using the stuff. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving a little bit along from Azure stuff, Power Platform. Now, I'm no Power Platform expert, but I know they're doing a bunch of things and I see a bunch in the news about it, but... There have been some interesting announcements around Power Platform and specifically Power Automate and around the work they're doing in robotic process automation, RPA. Mm-hmm. So there's a ton of new features they've got. They've got thing, a new tool called Process Advisor, which is all about visualization of a process and how things, you know, how a process is done, identifying bottlenecks and optimizations and all those sorts of things. Tons of new features, lifecycle management of automations, execution priority for desktop flows. I also heard that, it's not specifically in this article, maybe I can find another one, that they are giving away for desktop use. I think it's, they're giving away the ability to do RPA on the on your desktop for free. There's some sort of skew that is hmm. lets uh, sort of end users help automate their own workflows for free. I'll need to dig that up and get more details on it. I just saw that in passing at some stage. I don't take that, you know, I only take that with a grain of salt because I, I don't have a link here. But um, it seems Microsoft are pushing pretty hard on the RPA and process automation side of things. Mm. And the march continues in that regard. So um, lots of new enhancements there. Yeah, the other big thing that was, we teased it a bit. Someone, it seems that they might have said something a little too early last week, was around an announcement for Power Platform called Microsoft Power FX which they're calling the low-code programming language for everyone. So in translation, this thing is open source. Basically what this is, 
Remember all the VBA stuff we had in Excel? They've basically moved it to Power Platform and they're calling it Power FX. I mean, that, the part that's interesting about this to me does it look like VBA? Kind of a little bit with like the functions and stuff. But yeah. here's the thing that I don't get the second they say that this is low code or no code and it's for like citizen developers. To me, a citizen developer is someone who's going to live in the browser and do coding stuff in the browser or in the Power Apps client. Yeah. The second picture on this blog post shows VS Code in a bunch of what looks like YAML. <laughs> that that kind of yeah. seems to... I know Power Platform is huge to Microsoft. I know a lot of people absolutely love it, and they're doing a ton of really cool, powerful things with it, and they rant and rave about it. So I'm very much missing the boat on this whole thing, but it's sure it just keeps feeling like they just don't... that Like their audience... They keep speaking past their audience, right? They like they they know their audience, but some of these things that they're mm. talking about and they're doing, they just speak right past them, and they're not really picking up on this stuff. It's it's weird to me. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. They, yeah, if you have to crack out code, then yeah, no, that's not going to work. Uh, maybe that's the grow up story part of it. You know, it's like, well, if you don't want to do it in a browser, then you can crack out some code and get into the into the bits behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Teams. Teams has a bunch of new interesting announcements. There's a good summary post of what's gone on in Teams up on the Teams blog. But just jumping through a bunch of them at warp speed, there's a new thing called Dynamic View and Meetings, which basically is a switcher between all the different types of views depending on what's going on in the meeting, who's presenting, what if they're presenting a slide, yada, yada, yada. And it will sort of automatically flip between a bunch of different, the, what it thinks is the most appropriate view for the meeting at that time. It's kind mm-hmm. of nice. I can't believe this is an announcement, but there's a view switcher, so you could do that yourself. Yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> now, this is actually pretty cool. Presenter mode. Yeah, that's neat. Right? This is actually one that I will find very useful, and there was a, I had to do a hacky workaround to do this in the past with PowerPoint, but now in Teams, when you're presenting, you can actually use proper like presenter mode in PowerPoint to do it. So you can see your notes and and your slides, you know, upcoming slides and all that sort of stuff, which is which is really nice. Previously, I had to set, I had to present just a window of PowerPoint in slide mode into Teams, and then have my slide deck open a second time with all my notes and all that sort of stuff. That's how I used to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. This will be really nice. Reactions. This is actually this is already rolled out in my Teams tenant. I don't that I use on a daily basis. I actually think this is quite cool. This seems really a bit floofy on the outset, like who needs more emojis in their life? Mm-hmm. But I'm actually finding it quite useful, and I wish they'd taken it a little bit further mm-hmm. in that I wish they'd added the ability to add custom emojis mm-hmm. or custom reactions because, you are, you know, based on your presentation, you might want, you know, like certain reactions from the audience them to be able to indicate certain things. And I also wish they'd almost turn it into like a little poll where you could tally the count of certain reactions. I want to see the counts of who's done what at certain times in the meeting as well would be super helpful because then you could use it for very lightweight polling and stuff like that. I agree with everything you just said. I wish that they had made it to where you don't have to do two clicks to actually get to it. So you have to do one click to open it up and then another click to select the reaction. The reactions we have right now are, I think, thumbs up, love, applause, and laughing, right? Yeah. But... Where are the negative ones? Because I think, yeah. and I don't, and not not to be a negative person, but a lot of times when you ask for a reaction from people, that's a great way to prove reactions. But all of that stuff is positive stuff. But what if yeah, I yeah. wanted to have yeah. a reaction that was negative? What if I wanted to say, should we do this or shouldn't we do this? How do I indicate that we shouldn't do this? What I want is a little pile of turd. Yeah. I want to be able to send a pile of turd. If I can have a thumbs up, let, give me a thumbs down. If I can do a laughing one, make, let, give me a crying one. If I can do a love one, then give me yeah. an angry one or something like that. So that's, it's just, let's take this to, to the, uh, making it something really useful. Yeah. The other thing about this as well is that I wanted the negative ones because you and I were both in an event last week and this was used quite a bit by a lot of people. But one of the things that was frustrating to me about it is, remember where we had the Skype tax? Right, where it was always like you get on a call, what is it? Oh, the first five minutes is I can't connect or I can connect or can you see my slides or my video is not working or that kind of crap. Andrew has left the meeting. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> we can now have these things called apps, meeting apps inside of uh, Microsoft Teams meetings, although they only work in certain meetings, which is kind of weird. So I've decided to create one. We have the Microsoft Teams tax, right, which is the whole... Can you see my slides? Some people are like in the chat. Yes, 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 yes. No, no, I can't Can see you hear it. Me now? Yeah, yep. random person saying I can't hear anything. Random person writes back. Try reconnecting. It's working for us. So I'm creating an, an app right now. I'll make it free, but it's called the Microsoft Teams Tax Credit. And the idea is, is that when you, <laughs> what it will do is over on the side is that when you can open this up and when you're going to present, you can say, you know, can I hear or can you hear? Can you see? my video? Can you see my demo or slides? And people will be able to vote like what you said. Give me a reaction here that shows like a needle so that if I'm in a meeting and someone's like going, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start presenting. If I'm the presenter and I see a certain number of people are seeing my demo, then I'm going to go ahead and get started. I don't need to wait for somebody else to see it. It was funny because the person last week that was moderating all this stuff, he was the last one to always get the video and all the rest of us like, yeah, we can see it. Come on, just keep going. The video is catching it. Gotcha. So the next thing, but as a, a participant, I want to be able to look at it. I want to say, I can't see the demo, but I can see that everybody else is. So when I say no, I'd like to have Clippy pop up and just say, try reconnecting or have you tried plugging it in or something <laughs> like that. So that's what I'm working on that stuff now for my Microsoft Teams tax credit App. Nice, nice. Might get, um, I might get in trouble for right for doing that. Though. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a useful add-in. Webinars is something new that we briefly heard or saw a leak about last week, but is now been announced at Ignite. So soon you'll be able to register, or um, yeah, you'll be able to register for webinars through this as well. Is set up webinars. So as a as a presenter or a or a company or what have you doing a webinar, I'll be able to set up my webinar, the details, the description, all of that sort of stuff. You'll be able to get people to send links out to register for the webinar and things like that and have it all done from within Teams, which is kind of nice. My guess is this is a direct response to setting up a webinar with Teams is too damn hard, right? Yep. And and they wanted to bake in a, a way to make it really seamless to invite people into a meeting, external people into a meeting, and get them all in. You know, it's um, pretty pretty painful. And it'll support up to 1,000 people, which is pretty decent for a webinar, and then 20,000 person for view-only broadcasts. I'm really curious to see, to learn more about this. Like, for me personally, that's why we have Zoom. We, I have a Zoom subscription, 50-some-odd bucks a month. And I use it primarily for webinars and yeah. I would like, but there's things that I, that I can do with zoom that when I heard that they were doing this at teams, it's like, okay, you got to be able to do this, 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 and this. You got to be able to get into it. That, well, that's one. That's a big, that's a big, that's one. the first hurdle. Let's see how easy it is for people to get into the webinar, get into the webinar and see the chat and not have to explain to them, well, you're in the wrong tenant. You can't see the chat because you're in a different tenant. Like I hope that. That for meetings, that drives me nuts. You get in there, I can't see the chat. We have to get in at this tenant. Why this tenant? You got to get in the Microsoft guest tenant. I'm not in the Microsoft guest tenant. It, that whole tenant thing is a pain. There's also some privacies that they, privacy stuff that they added too to Teams. Things like invite only meetings. This one was confusing to me. I, I didn't know that you could get into a Teams meeting without being invited to it. If you just somehow are able to, like, is it the equivalent of walking down a hallway, seeing people in a room, and you just kind of go like camp out in the corner? That's what it seems like. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know. Invite that. only meeting controls help ensure that only intended participants join a meeting. Hmm. I like this one. You can disable <laughs> video. It'll be generally available in the first half of the calendar year. This feature is intended to limit potential disruptions along with other capabilities such as invite only meetings and recently announced chat moderation controls. This is the reaction to Zoom bombing. Yeah. Right, where people guess a Zoom link or, or reuse a Zoom link and then jump on there naked you know, run through a meeting or whatever mm -hmm. uh, with their video on, doing inappropriate things. That seems like the Zoom bomb feature. Yeah. They've got some other things about multi-geo support and, and encryption for one-on-one -on -one Teams calls. That sounds kind of, that sounds like a response to Zoom. Yes. Adding that in the feature, the things they got. I'm actually surprised that end-to-end -end encryption was not part of like Teams V1. I'm surprised mm -hmm. that that's something that they're talking about now as a feature, like two years mm -hmm. in two or three years and however long we've had teams. It is interesting when they announce features you thought you already had, like the <laughs> invite-only meetings. Like, you're like, huh, so it wasn't secure all this time. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then encryption, like going, everyone was bagging on Zoom for that. Zoom for that. And you guys yeah. didn't get any, 
you were like, Ooh, just sit in the corner, like go talk about that. No, Microsoft were very careful about saying they didn't have end-to-end encryption, mm-hmm. right? That, but Zoom, Zoom hit the skids because they said that you know it had you know encrypted up in the top left corner or whatever. Mm. And um, I'm just looking at ours right now, and it says the little, it's got the little green shield mm-hmm. saying encryption is enabled. Doesn't say end-to-end encryption though, does it? Mm-mm. Anyway, so yeah, Teams are doing a bunch of cool stuff. I think that's really. Really interesting. They've got new devices. They've got, you know, for Teams panels, which show meeting availability and things. Right now, it's not that exciting because none of us are going to meeting rooms, but it might be exciting one day. Yeah. Yeah. This blog is long, and it summarizes all of the Teams things. It's actually quite nice that it's all in one spot. I like it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, let's see what else we're going to cover here. There was a session by Adam Harmitz from the Microsoft 365 team. It was about 20, 22, 25 minutes long where he was talking about Viva Connections, Hmm. which big deal for Microsoft. He did directly answer a lot of questions that people have been asking. How much is it going to cost? When am I going to get it? Et cetera. The answers are, it's not going to cost you anything. It's included with E3 licenses, number one. This is for connections. This is for Viva Connections. Just for connections, yeah. Viva Topics, strangely, costs $5 per user per month but you can do a one-month trial, but it takes about a month for the data to be able to get any kind of real use to create topics, so... Can't really use it. Interesting. Yeah. A trial, at least. Viva Learning and Viva Insights, that comes later. But he talked a lot about like how they see connections, what it's going to be good for, the different... Showed it off a good bit. Also showed off this little tile experience and how to create these little tiles. He showed that in the video as well on uh, uh, kind of a new like dashboard-ish kind of way to, to look at stuff. That's not available right now. That, that dashboardy kind of view, that's apparently coming in the future. But Viva Connections is rolling out now, apparently. It's going to be fully rolled out. I think he said it's fully going to be rolled out by the end of the month, by the end of March. Huh. I think that's Curious. what he said. It seems like, a, yeah, specifically an evolution of what we saw with home sites coming into Teams from the mm. way I look at it. Mm-hmm. I'll have to check that out. Viva Connection. Sorry, that's what he said. And it's GA later this month for the desktop Microsoft Teams experience for connections. The other experiences for like the Teams web, Teams mobile, that's coming later this year. But the GA for desktop Teams is shipping right. now-ish. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Should we move on to some picks or something? I oh, think, I, think. I guess, yeah, I guess... Summary, there was lots at Ignite. Still lots to, still, still a lot for me to catch up on. It's like, oh, man, I just, you know, when I used to have to go to these conferences, I kind of loathed it, and I kind of wish I was at one right now. Not right now, but, you know, that I will go to one in the future because just from a time management point of view, I like being stuck in a situation where, you know, I'm at the conference and I should go to sessions or go to the keynote or go and look around the Partner Expo hall and spend time. I find it very distracting doing it all remotely. So, you know, just trying to catch up on these things and watch the sessions is quite hard. It's, I think, so I'm going to counterpoint to that one. I actually like, I like going there to kind of meet up with people, but I find I don't ever end up going to any of the content that I want to see and have to catch up on it later. So I feel like going... pretty true too, yeah. I find that this, I find that, because I end up, especially in an event like Ignite, I listened to a podcast. And I'm like, I had no idea that that was even discussed that last week. And I, I'll get frustrating. I'll get frustrated. Yeah. I yeah. like this experience. I like the virtual experience. I just think that, and I think I might've mentioned this in a previous episode. I personally need to set aside one full day after the conference to spend time absorbing stuff that I want to look at. And then watching some videos and reading stuff, maybe not playing with anything, but I need to spend a day after the event to go to go get up the speed on it. Yeah. During the event, though, I, I don't find I get what they're trying to do. And I do a good job of the whole like doing it, being an MC for the show uh, where they had a, two people who were up there going through and doing the they were trying to go from event to event or from keynote to keynote and stuff. I get what they're trying to do. The live experience on virtual stuff, it's like, I don't really care. If you record everything and then ship it at one time, and then I'll go back and look at it later, okay, that works fantastic for me. That works fantastic. Yeah. But I find I like not being there and trying to catch up on it because I always feel like I'm scatterbrained trying to be pulled in all these different directions to go meet with people That's and go true. to different meetings and customer stuff. Whereas with this, 
If I just say, I'm not doing anything today, but Ignite Ketchup, that works. I'm going to do that for Build this year because I know I'm not going to be at Build. And when they do, Does it if, build? Even if it, I think so. I'm assuming I so. Anything about it. Well, I haven't either, but Ignite kind of, <laughs> for me, Ignite, the spring Ignite kind of came out of the blue too. <laughs> yeah, it totally did. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about Build actually. It's a curious omission. It wouldn't surprise me if they don't do one. Cool. Should we move on? Let's do some picks. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. Do you have a pick for us this week, CJ? I do. I do, AC. I've got a video called How Microsoft Flight Simulator Recreated Our Entire Planet. It's a sort of a mini documentary, so to speak, talking about how Microsoft Flight Sim has, I get, yeah, it's in the name, recreated the entire planet in the game from topographical data, photogrammetry of cities, Bing mapped out, you know, satellite imagery. It is spectacular as well to fly around it and be able to go and find things like your own house or a particular landmark or what have you and see how close to reality it is. It's really impressive what they've done in the game certainly not without its drawbacks, but like you've got to have an absolute monster of a PC to get decent quality out of it and decent frame rates and all that sort of stuff. But it is stunning, visually absolutely stunning. And so, yeah, this documentary or this sort of short documentary goes through and gives you a whole bunch of background and insight about how that how that happened. Mm, that's how cool. they did that. Yeah. It's really neat. It's kind of re- yeah, I guess they brought all these worlds together of search data and satellite imagery and all this sort of stuff to make to make it possible in game. It's very cool. Very cool. Let's go ahead and check that out. How about out. you? What do you what do you got for us this week? Man, I have been geeking out hardcore on NASA Perseverance, the the Mars lander. I mean I think that looking at the pictures that are coming back and it's such a simple but it's such a cool story and I'm really looking forward yeah. to, to learning more about it. At the same time, some other stuff came out about uh about Right, actually, this happened right before Perseverance landed. I've been sitting on this pick for a little while, and it, mm. frankly, it it trumped the Perseverance pick, unfortunately, for a little bit. Voyager Two was one of our first probes that was sent out, and it really was just it just we just fired it out from Earth and just said just go. Now it wasn't like not aimed, but it was like just go, and yeah. it was going to do flybys of different planets, and now it's in interstellar space between our solar system. Well, it's outside of our solar system. What was interesting about Voyager 2 is that the way that the Earth is situated, the way that Voyager 2 talks to Earth and and vice versa, is through the Deep Space Network, DSN. Mm -hmm. And specifically, the one that it it has to use is the satellite in, or not satellite, the um, antenna array down in Australia. And this dish was over 43 years old. And that was down in Australia. And it was due for a refresh, due for a maintenance. That work started in 2020, of March of 2020, and it was scheduled to finish in February, which that meant that Voyager 2 was going to be completely out of reach of Earth for about 11 months, the longest time mm. that it's never been able to, to receive commands. So there was a bit of anxiety about this. Well, just recently, it got its first command from the dish down in Australia, Canberra, is that how you say it? Canberra. 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 Canberra, yeah. Down in Australia, they sent a message to it. It is, the, just for perspective, this thing, Voyager 2 is so far away. It is currently, I think that's 18 billion, almost 19 billion kilometers away from Earth. It's moving 15 kilometers per second away from Earth. And it takes, for a signal to get to it, it takes 17 and a half hours to get there, but it will come back. Now, the funny thing is, is they sent the signal out on February the 13th, and they're like, that's okay. We sent it early enough, so it will get there by Valentine's Day. <laughs> so it got there, and it turned around, and it did respond for just an update. People want cool little facts about Voyager 2, just to polish this off. It's still running five of the 10 probes or five of the 10 instruments that it originally shipped with. NASA shut down a lot of the instruments to preserve, to make sure that they'd be able to talk to it for as long as possible. It does use a radio isotope for like a nuclear isotope, 
for power. And that power is not only used for communication, but it's also used for keeping the instruments warm warm enough to work. By the time the isotope runs out, they're looking that that's going to be ballpark around 2032. And by that time, that thing will be 55 years old. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? It is. That thing, it'll be 55 years old in 21 years. Or sorry, in 11 years. All right. So that means it is 44 years old right now. Yeah. That probe that is that we sent out 41 years ago is in interstellar space, and we're still communicating with it that got sent out. Imagine if that was found right now by some aliens. Yeah. And they came to Earth, and it's like going, yeah, we've made a lot of progress since then. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we no longer, well, we still, actually, weirdly, we still have records, you know, because there was the golden disc or whatever that's put on Voyager 2, and they're going to be like, "Uh, please tell us you don't still use these to play music. And we'll be like, well, they're kind of making a comeback. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts, though. I mean, it's it's so cool. It's a fascinating story that, yeah, that it's still going to be, they're going to shut down more of these instruments to keep it going, right, so they can use, they, they require less and less power. But it'll still be going. It's incredible. Actually, one thing I was going to mention, and have you, you know, the game Elite Dangerous that I've, I've been, I played a little bit. You can go and Don't. find Voyager in Elite Dangerous. Oh, can you really? Yeah, and it's in the right spot. <laughs> so you can go find it and um, go check it out. It's cool. Speaking of Elite Dangerous, you can actually download and install it on your new Xbox Series X. But oh, apparently, really? you want to be you want to be careful of that because I've read a few things on Reddit where people who have installed it have literally fried it's fried their Xbox X. I don't know how that happens, but I saw like two or three posts on Reddit this morning from people really? like I installed it and it fried it last night, and like two other people jumped in and go, "That's exactly what happened to me last night as well. It doesn't work today." How bizarre! Yeah, but some hardware quality control issues, perhaps. Curious, curious and scary. Yeah, but it's cool stuff. It's really it's just it's so neat to see. You mentioned this in the last episode. We'll wrap this up in a sec. You mentioned this in the last episode where, you know, people can be working on something their entire life. Yeah. And we're watching. That's one of the coolest things about the James Webb telescope that we're supposed to send up later this year. The lady that is running it is she came out of college. She started working on it, the research for it. Mm. She's been working on it the entire time. I believe she's now currently in, in charge of the construction and the launch process for James Webb Telescope, and when it actually is launched, she's then going to be in charge of actually running the operation of it, and ultimately she's going to retire. She will have worked on one thing. One project. One project, her entire professional career. In one sense, that's kind of depressing. In another sense, that, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. So, that is so special. Yeah, that really is, yeah. That's really crazy, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Talk about dedication. I'm so excited for that one. That one I'm really excited for. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see it successfully launch first. Let's fingers launch, crossed for that. Launch and make it to its L2 or L3, whichever yeah. one it's going to. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. That Groovy. is, I guess, because they're calling it Spring Ignite this year. That is our first of two Ignite. Well, first of a multi-part Ignite review episode that we will have in 2021. Yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Lots of new goodies. So, um, yeah, I guess Ignite will be back in... September? Is that sometime? Don't know about the next dates yet. Will it be in person? That is the big question. There might be part of it in person. It'll probably be hybrid. It's not going to be like the old events where people would come from all over the world. That's for certain, right? I'm really curious to see that. I'm starting to get questions from some conferences about will you commit to speaking at this conference? And I'm like, it's been quite quiet for a while that you've done that. Now I've gotten four of those in the last week. I'm like, Yeah, people are getting... A little ahead of themselves, I think. I personally, it's my personal opinion on things. But even so, my point with this is like, I would probably attend a conference in October if vaccination rates were high enough and all that sort of stuff, right? If I felt comfortable with it. But being very realistic, that would only possibly be the case in the US. Like, I'd mm-hmm. only go to a conference in the US, and I don't think people from outside the U.S. would come to the U.S. for a conference. Mm -hmm. Because, being honest, the U.S. could be completely... Say if everybody took the vaccine, right? We're going to have enough of it by July or June or whatever it is to cover every every adult, May, every Mm. adult in the U.S., whether we can administer it or not, separate kettle of fish. However, even if we did get everybody vaccinated, that's not the whole world. So, what, like, a bunch of people are going to come from other countries to go to a conference? Probably not, would be my guess. 
So it'll be different either way, is my point. I agree. I've only said yes, that there's one event that I would do because there's no flight involved in it. And because I know the venue, I know the hotel, I know the people, I know the size of the event, at least in the past, I would expect it to be smaller. So I feel like I can have more control over what's going on. I'm in the position right now where I'm, I'm of the mindset now where I'm not, I don't want to commit to anything. I don't have any interest in being the first one to do this stuff. And I want to see how some of these people hold events. And I want to see how people act at some of these events. I'm not going to call any specific ones out by name, but I remember seeing some last year, late last year, that they held their event, both as like a, they, some did some virtual stuff and some in-person stuff. And I'm happy that they were able to do it. But then some of the pictures that I saw of the way that kind of people were, were interacting, not just in the event where they can control, but outside of the event. I'm like, would I go to an event that I felt comfortable at? Yeah. But do I want to deal with all the peer pressure stuff involved around when you go to a conference? Like, would, would you and I want to go hang out, go to a, do our, our traditional dinner that we do when we're, when we're at the event? I don't know. And if I can't yeah. do all that kind of stuff, I'm like, is it worth even doing this right now? And like, exactly. that's the part where I'm like, I want to stand back, like, going, I want it's to see how you, yeah. I want to see how you guys do this first, then I'll consider it. That's the thing. I don't want to. I'm not saying no to anything, but I'm not saying yes to anything either. Exactly. And I just want to play it by ear, and I don't want to commit because who knows where we'll be at in six months' time? It's impossible to say at this point. I. That's exactly how I. We have. It's impossible to say where we're going to be in three months right now. It's like I want to. I want to see how things progress, and then I'll start making decisions. But until then, I don't feel like I have to make a decision or commit to anything. Exactly. And I'm. I'm sorry for those in the event space, and I get how challenging yeah. that is. But that's. I'm not in that space. I'm in a different space. Yep. Yep. I agree. Cool. Okay. That's our that's take on events. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe we'll see you sometime this year. (laughs) Exactly. Cool. Good catching up with you, CJ. And I hope everybody enjoyed the Ignite recap. And let us know what you thought. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience. And we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode, as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.